0: Where are all my friends? This is such a special episode to be with Kevin Lyman. Thank you so much for joining, dude.
1: It's great to see you, Andrew. Even though we're across Zoom, it's always nice to see you. And uh, thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, dude, this is seriously an honor. When I started this podcast... The whole idea was just talk to people in music that I think are doing really cool things. And it started with a very close circle of friends. And then it kind of went on to be just like the network of people that I thought were doing remarkably cool things or had accomplished things. And you've always been on the list. And I feel like it's kind of a no-brainer, but it's like really like this is like a bucket list kind of episode for me because I think you are so important to music as a whole so like I'm so serious dude, like it is an absolute honor to have you on. I really appreciate it. Shout out to Vivian for making it happen. So yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, Vivian, we was able to get us all scheduled, which is great. so thank you Andrew to make it work today
0: yeah dude so to intro it what i want to go over in this podcast is like obviously you've done a ton of interviews and you've talked so so much about the warp tour and you just started a podcast that i did want to bring up because it's so damn cool and it's like the best authentic deep dive on that tour like it's you and tony aradia did I say that right? Arata? Yeah, Arata.
1: Yeah. yeah, there we He'll go. Appreciate that, Andrew. He likes that. Wow. Good,
0: good. But uh, yeah, like it's it's the dynamic of you two talking. He brings out a side of you because he wasn't as deep in it, so he's just talking to you like a friend. And the stories you tell, and the way you've broken down the episodes of specifically focusing on like one little part and piece of the Warp Tour each episode is just such a treat. So. I'm so happy you're doing that.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, I think with the this pandemic, you know, needed to, to, you had to create and fill up that time. Busy people all of a sudden found themselves with time on their hands. And sometimes that time on my hand was driving my wife crazy. And she was like, hey, you know, that garage you teach you in a couple of days a week, why don't you go back there? You should do a podcast or write a book. And I, I'm too much of an outdoor person to actually sit down and write. <laughs> So we started this process with the podcast and Tony is someone who is affiliated with the music industry. He he works in the in the technical side of Key Code Media, but we found ourselves in a bubble playing golf together. He I was introduced to him from Tony from Papa Roach one day in the neighborhood, and we became friends. And we, you know, you're out on the golf course, and you know, during this pandemic, and you just tell some stories and we have a good time. And... And he was very curious about a lot of the things that went on, but he wasn't there, which is kind of cool. So yeah. everything to him that we talk about is kind of fresh and new and yes, had his own views on it. And uh, we've had a really, really fun time doing it. As you know, it, doing the podcast is a lot of work. It, it's, yeah. it's not just getting a recorder and a couple of mics. Like I think some of the first podcasts now, there's a lot more work going into it. And I was able to bring in some of my students from USC who are kind of transitioning into jobs and they needed some jobs. So I was able to hire them to do the social media marketing and and do the Xavier's a USC student. So he's doing all the editing and, and putting the podcast together. So, you know, creating jobs, you know, during a pandemic. So that's what I try to do.
0: Dude, I love that. And that's so on brand of Kevin Lyman to like look to the young kids and find and give them opportunities to get involved in something cool. And it also shows that you take it seriously and you're not just going to, like, phone it in and hit record and then put it out. Like, there's production value to the show. There's cuts to different interviews. There's storyboards and storylines. It's presented well. You have a YouTube channel. Like, you didn't just come in and be like, oh, yeah, podcast sounds cool. Like, you guys thought it out. You built something really special. And uh, being in it now, I really respect when people come in and do something right. So, it's top-notch, like had to address it because it's amazing. And I think too, I was thinking about this before the interview. It's so interesting talking about the Warp Tour because it's gone on or it had gone on for so, so long. Every person that was involved, depending on who they were or who they were working for or what their relationship to the tour was or the years that they were a part of it, Everyone is gonna have a different story, a different perspective, different memories. So when you look at the documentaries or the things that try to cover it all in an hour or something, it's just impossible. Like, how do you do that? So the more Warped Tour content there is out there, I'm just happy because it's just, it's hard to explain in a short amount of time.
1: Yeah, and you know, taking this, you know, my Warped life has kind of expanded for me over 40 years now, you know, beyond, you know, Warped Tour, I was working all these other things, so now I'm able to bring elements of those other people because you led a warped life. Uh, some of the people, Steve Van Doren's led a warp. Show. So my warped life kind of expands right now and in upcoming episodes, I'm bringing in other people that maybe touched through the warp tour, but how I met them or did other things with them that I found was very interesting. So we have a, we have a, you know, some plans to, you know, to expand it out a little bit maybe an idea of a cooking show in the backyard and we have some <laughs> under the tree coming up and we're going to go shoot a little pilot and see how that goes now that we can kind of gather a little bit more than we could even you know three months ago but uh, we'll see how it goes and, and you know i always believe as long as still remaining fun um keep doing it and even though you know warp tour for me was you know a quarter century and the majority of it was actually fun. Um, and when I started realizing uh, that it, it, the, the fun was kind of being taken out of it in some way, and then for no, it's just changing times, changing things. Uh, uh, I, I just felt I had done everything with that project. So this transition to podcasts and professorships and some of the brand stuff I'm doing, I just feel, it, you know, I always tell this and, you know, and I probably, you know, I don't know if you've heard it. I always just say, you run out of time. You don't run out of ideas, um, you know, in life. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, just turn 60 and who thinks, you know, you know, that you'd be working in the music industry over four, you know, 40 years, 40 plus years. I started when I was 18, putting on some of my first events. And, yeah. uh, you know, I Dude. don't every day. I, I do wish I could jump back out and go, you know, trucks roll up in front of the house. We we set up a show. I I just don't know, you know, honestly, physically, number one, I could be doing the way I do it because we've toured together and, Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't sit in an office. No, no. So now it's just kind of concentrating my energy into other things and, and hopefully helping the next generation of people in in this business, especially through my teaching and education, you know, After I talked to you today, I've got one of my students who's now working at a company who they want to do something um, and maybe run it through my foundation, which is very cool. When you're teaching in school and they're taking that philanthropic thought now into their own workplaces and the first call they want to have as her new company she's with is how maybe they can do a charitable event. Pretty cool. And then then you're kind of continuing on what you want to do in life. Probably be most effective.
0: Dude, that's totally it. And so as I was thinking about this interview, I figured we can't cover it all. We can't all of it. It's just too much, right? So I figured I would come at it from my approach and my genuine questions for you and my perception of what I've learned from you and just have a conversation about that. And to put a little bit of a backstory to that, I don't even know if you know if I've ever told you this, but the way that you impacted my life was so crazy because I was 16 years old when I went to my first Warped Tour. I think everybody was kind of around that age. And I didn't, I wasn't in music. I didn't really even know that that, I I knew that bands like that existed. I found that a little bit earlier, but for some reason it never registered to me that bands toured or they played live. I just didn't know. And I had a crush on this girl and she brings me to the Vans Warped Tour. And I go and I'm like, Oh my god, like this is magic. Like it it was the first time in my life that I understood that something like that could exist and that such a community existed around that. I felt like I was amongst people like myself for one of the first times ever and there were so many of us. So that's I want to say that that was Warp 2006. And then Warp 2008 my friends and set it off. Played like one day on the local show, and I saw them, and I thought they were so I was like, dude, you got we like we made it. We did it. Like you played the warp tour, and fast forward, I end up working with them. That's the first band I ever go on tour with. We get our real warp tour offer. I think we were one of the you know we played the local stages and didn't get water or catering and had to rough it and did like three days, whatever. but I, I believe it was 2013 that we did our first full, full warp tour. And that's where I really feel like I understood who you were. And I watched you set this example. And I watched that tour operate. And I watched you empower people and take chances on what would appear to be the biggest misfits. But you always believed in people so much and gave everyone a benefit of a doubt. And worked so, so hard yourself and expected so much of everyone, but not in a bad way, in a way where it was like a real community on this tour. It was different from other tours. It was family and it was summer camp and it was so fun, but it was the hardest goddamn work I have ever done. I have never been more tired. We always used to joke that day three of like the first three days by day three, you're just dead. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just the most exhausting thing. And then you get past it. So experiencing all of that firsthand, you really changed my life. What I learned from that applied to my life more than so many other lessons. It was the college of my life. It was this thing in the back of my head of if I can get through Warp Tour, I can get through anything because nothing is going to be that hard of work. So that like you have left that impression on me forever and I will always have that. And that's what I want to talk about because maybe the Warp Tour doesn't exist anymore, but The person that you are and those lessons and that idea and what you're teaching and the legacy is so fucking cool and important. And I just want to hear where that comes from, because that's not like any other music festival I have ever seen or anything else in music. So that's my long-winded way to set that up and ask think, you about that.
1: It kind of goes back, you know, Andrew, I think a lot to, you know, where I grew up and, and how I grew up. And, you know, it was, it was a solid family, you know, but we had to work. You know, if you wanted something, you wouldn't work for it. You know, there was no allowance. There was no extra money necessarily. We had food on the table. It, was, it wasn't that kind of situation. But, you know, my, my dad was working uh, hard and, and my mom was taking care of four kids who were all adopted. We were all adopted, but if we wanted anything, we just got out there and had to work for it, and 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 not take any shortcuts to it. Uh, so when I started working in the business in in Los Angeles, you know, in the clubs of L.A., a lot of people said, "Hey, Kevin, unless you live in L.A., you're not going to make it." I said, "Then I won't make it." And it was hard work, but it added the work to drive in and make that impression and and work hard, but. Um, I don't know. I I don't. And you don't know where this all comes from, but it's just my mindset that just give a crap. I mean, it's a simple thing. I said I'd come home from tour and I'd be like, wow, I just spent two months with people who gave a crap and watching as you would watch me work. I would watch all of you work and I would watch the person with that smallest 10 by 10 tent who had their thing set up, but they took their job so seriously and they knew they had to work hard because if you didn't work hard, you would be kicked out of the tornado that warp tour was. You'd have mm-hmm. your you'd have your booth at the end of a far line under a tree because everyone was up early working. And it, those little things could make or break a band's career, like if they don't in high traffic areas, if they're not so everyone learned that word hustle, I like to use. And, and it's not hustling, it's hustle. And mm-hmm. hustle to me is one of the best words and it's just having the hustle. To make whatever you do the best you can do it so that and i looked at it that it took every person out there from you know carrie nicholson as one level of a production manager but that person that had that tent for a band like set it off on their first tour that had mm-hmm. to drag it across the parking lot and get it set up every morning you know who the band who might have a chance of making it was there every day the ones that would straggle out you know and you would just watch it early on not be together when they show up at the tour, not have their stuff with it. You know, I was always watching this happen. Then all of a sudden, it was just um, a—it um, was just about giving a crap. And then I'd come back into, I guess, the real world, we call it, you know, civilian life as they, you know, as Fletcher would like to say it.
0: Quite the shock going from the tour to regular life afterwards, yes. And you
1: would watch how people just don't give a crap. So I felt always honestly, that I was so lucky to get to do what I got to do. Yeah. And I know that if I was out there working hard, you guys were watching me, I was watching you. We would push each other to try to make the day the best we possibly could for ultimately the kids that came to the show.
0: And That's so well said. But you know what's interesting about that is it was one of those rare environments like it was an ecosystem right like you made a setting an environment this summer long place where hard work was noticed and rewarded because there's a lot of times in life where you can give a crap and you can hustle but it's not as like direct whereas you knew at least from our perspective it's like i'm gonna go out for the next two and a half three months whatever and work harder than i've ever worked but it's gonna make it's gonna mean something it's going to pay off. And together, we're going to work hard. And I think that that bubble of Warp Tour, where you knew that hard work mattered and worked and people did it together, was magic.
1: And it was a great equalizer, Andrew. Um, you know, it, if you got out there and worked hard, you were recognized, whether you were male, female, African-American, white, Hispanic, um, there was really no... you you know there was no barriers out there no one was looked at differently you were just looked at if you knew how to work hard i mean you know you know how to work hard it became very apparent very quickly and it became apparent to a whole scene of people it wasn't just maybe a band they were working for it was now they they were on display with their whole community that they hoped to work for in the long run i've never been a good person at, at broing down or schmoozing, or as this industry, sometimes people get ahead because of that. And that's that's a whole skill within itself, you know, that that, but in the long run, I but the people in the long run that I like were and they got ahead, were the ones that cracked it out on that field at seven in the morning and, and worked all day and were still there at the end of the night and did exactly up to the moment and then could go to a barbecue and have a great time and then go to bed and do it all over again. Now, if you have that on your resume that you worked a few summers on the war or a summer on the work tour, you get hired by other people that know you worked hard, you had a good attitude, and you didn't complain much.
0: Yes, dude, yes. But I
1: always say much, because we all complained, <sighs> including myself oh, at yeah. the and usually that was, it was hot, and you didn't really need the person next to you telling you it was hot all day, or everybody. It was like, stop saying it's hot, everyone knows it's hot
0: it was just it was like perfectly miserable like we were all in it together like there were so many moments that just sucked or like the days that would get rained out like you'd have those specific days where it would be like the city where you just know it's gonna rain all day and there's nothing you can do about it and you just get your tarps and try your best or the days where you know it's gonna be over a hundred and you're like i just i don't want to talk about it i'm just gonna do what i do but it was Beautiful. It was the most rewarding shower you could take at the end of the night. It was the most rewarding kick back at the back of a bus trailer and sit in a camping chair and feel like you had just gone to battle and won with your brothers and sisters. And it was like that just made it so good.
1: And I think so many people that worked on work had gone to work, like you said, as a fan first. Yeah. The emotional feeling you had from that show. And that's why you worked so hard. You didn't know why you were working so hard, and sometimes you would question why you were working so hard. But you knew that you wanted to give those kids the same show you had. Yeah. And that show was not for everyone. I always said Warp wasn't for everyone. There was a lot of people who came to Warp Tour one time because they thought they needed to go or they heard they should go, and it was probably a very miserable day for them. There's a funny <laughs> thing. On, there's a funny thing on TikTok right now with a woman just talking about her miserable time at Warp Tour. I want her so much in my podcast. I, I, I'm trying to track down. And she has a great YouTube. It's been watched like th- tens of thousands of times of her just ta- reliving her miserable day and commes- commiserating with other people like the comments who had a miserable day. And you know what? The tour wasn't for them. It was for people <clears throat> themselves and so many other people. the Tens of thousands or millions of people. We did about 12 million people on that tour that... Yeah. that You know, if 10% of them to me walked out of there and affected their lives in a positive way, great. And then 80% came and just had a fun day. And then 10 people were as miserable as that woman on TikTok this week. Then, hey, mission accomplished.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like that, it was exactly that. And I just, I respect it so much. And that's what I'm so curious of is like, you built something kind of out of nothing like we the ones who understood it like when you got out there on that tour as a fan or as crew or as a band when it clicked you're like oh i'm at home like this is where i'm supposed to be i have my people we're miserable together having the most fun best memories of our lives and it clicks but that i mean like dude i told you like my first warp tour was 2006 so you had a lot of years of proving this concept and making something out of nothing. And I know your early days was like club promoter vibes in LA, right?
1: Yeah. Production. yeah.
0: I would vibe. have to imagine, because I think that there's a lesson in your story that people could learn of like, no, the warp tour won't happen again the way that it did or whatever, but you made something Basically, out of nothing. Like, you had this idea and you just threw together this thing. And I think that as music continues to evolve, there will be those opportunities again. And somebody will see that hole and be like, oh, this is my favorite thing ever with my favorite people. And we need a this. So, like, what was that? What were those early days? Like, were you scared to start that? Or were you just like, I have to do it? Like, what did that look like?
1: I think I had no other option but to start something, to be honest. I, I don't think I'm employable. I have a hard time being employed. I think I'm hanging on at usc. I'm a good, I'm a good teacher. I'm not a good employee. You know I'm always scrambling trying to update last year you, got, you have things you have to do when you work within a system. It's a whole process for me. The teaching and education side comes pretty easily. The communication yeah. with the generation that I'm teaching, i, I, I at this point, have a good rapport with them. I think I'm leaving them with things that will go on in their lives. But I, I don't know if I had any other option, Andrew. I I could have been a production manager, probably around in the clubs forever. I was good at that. I I would have been a touring production manager. I was already doing you know some other some artist tours, but I didn't want to spend my whole life on the road. Um, I I loved traveling. I loved controlling the environment a little bit. Like so that's why Warp went out around the same time every year. I can control my environment even control of what days off we had so I can go fishing in the right spots, you know, just things like that. You know, that was a little bit of my life, but I just don't know if I had any other options, but to try things. And when you'd have no other options, um, failure, they say sometimes isn't an option. It could have happened, but I just was going to like figure it out and willing to try anything to make it successful. Um, yeah. and without for the audience that got it, it wasn't, I didn't I could have pivoted, to be honest. I, I probably could have kept work going for quite a few more years. One, either becoming that retro tour, which would have been fun, because, but it would have gone for three or four years um, with all my old friends. That would have been fun. But now I could do little things if I choose with them. Or I could have adapted, kept adapting with the sounds and music. Yeah. And it was going into that whole mumble rap phase. And I just didn't think the artists were really someone that was had the teams around them or people around them that, I, I wanted to spend a whole summer with no offense, you know, so people yeah. love that music. It just well, wasn't where no, I that
0: was says at. it well. Uh,
1: and it was time, you know, I'd done everything I can. And when people say, Oh, we need to do a warp tour, warp tour. No, you need to create something better than a warp tour or, or create yeah. something with your own vision.
0: Can I ask you a question with that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want to steal the podcast and make it about me, but I went, I kind of had a moment, um, Couple years ago in my career, where I had left a label, and I kind of had that same thing where I was like, I don't know if I'm employable. Like, I don't know, like, if I fit into this. And I was really excited about like emo trap, emo rap, whatever you want to call it. Like, there were certain artists where I was freaking out. So I kind of just made my own thing. I called it Version Three, and I signed a couple of my friends, and I was just like helping them with whatever they needed. I was like, What do you do? You want playlists? Do you want to? What do you need? And I was just trying my best. And a lot of them looked up to like the Warp Tour legacy type artists and had never gotten a chance to tour. And I, you know, from everything I had learned in touring and having doing pretty much everything on the road, I was like, fuck it. Like, let's just try. Like, let's do a little tour. And we all got in one van. And like, I mean, guarantees were door deals. Like we were just like, everyone was just on board to give it a try. And people showed up and I cried the first night. Like I I saw people show up and I saw the kids that got the first chance to see these artists play live and and everything. And it was so emotional to me because it felt like it wasn't about me. It felt like it was this community. Did you, was it like that with the warp tour? Like, did it become something that was bigger than you?
1: It was, it was for a long, for, yes, it did. You know, it did. Um, And then, you know, it, it, I never thought it would become something where people said, "Oh, we can't tour during the summer if we're not on Warp Tour. We can't be around." You know, Warp Tour was there to support the community. Um, You know, you touch on quite a few things, and and it's exciting to see. You know, I'm watching it from the sidelines right now, watching to see that that community that I think kind of went away a bit for a while. There, there really was no community. Yes, is now the essence of that community is being brought back by. People like Black Bear, but driven by like Machine Gun Kelly, Black yes. Bear, watching Mod Sun have his moment. Um, yeah. You know, I look at it right now and go, wow, there's a ton of ton of great bands that could use something like a Warp Tour. If a couple of big artists would bring them all along, you could probably put something really, really cool together because, you know, there's uh, Altered States. Cool band. There's just all these really cool bands. I mean, I mean, I just got a thing on Warning, this female rock band from from Mexico City that's got something coming out. But yeah. I think it's it's that sense of community where you. I look at it now. You got Halsey singing with Mo, who? Modson. Like I love Modson, but I didn't know if he was going to. He's having this he's bigger Modson's having this moment right now.
0: But yeah, it's he big, was out there playing drums with Scary Kids with you out in the summer parking all, lots.
1: They're all supporting each other. Yeah. You know, and maybe that elder statesman mm-hmm. is Travis Barker going in and saying, "Hey, let's drum, let's play together, let's do this together." Mm-hmm. Um, and then people like MGK, who's really matured into kind of a leader out there. And then you see all of a sudden, I guess Avril Levine's going to come back in and and grab her her pop punk roots, which I always try to get Avril to do Warped Tour. You know, I always thought that would have been great.
0: Uh, but, I'm surprised uh, she didn't do one.
1: There was a there was a moment. Going on, I think that was more of a management thing. I think if she, if the message had actually gotten to her, I think she would have come out and done a few dates, like, you know, and probably had a great time. I really think she would have gone, wow, this is is fun. Um, And then, you know, watching Halsey and some of these people who did come out of those Warped Tour parking lots. You know, I know a lot of those people who came to those, you know, so there's this moment in time that there definitely feels like, and maybe that it took a pandemic to bring that community back together and yeah. it took and you hate to say nothing positive comes but you have to look at positives in everything um, if we only yes. look at the negatives of what happened in society right now we'll go back and repeat some of those same things we were doing before but maybe we can learn from it and maybe they can learn that you know being a community will lead to a long career uh, take a step back to move forward once in a while our industry was always just like charge charge charge, charge. and it really got to that point the last few years it's like you know, if I could make 10 bucks more doing something else, I got to do that and try. And understandably, the economy changed as you don't make money on CDs and streaming revenues. The whole business has changed. But gosh, what a time that someone could you could really do something really cool.
0: I felt like to a degree at the end of Warp Tour, two, like you were like the giving tree like that kid's story is like you were just a dude you were just trying to help your friends you were just trying to give kids a chance and everyone would come to the giving tree and they'd take and take and take and they'd get their little chance and they'd get main stage and then the next year they never wanted to be associated with the name van's warp tour ever again because they were too cool and they were going in a pop direction and i was like that's cool maybe don't remember your roots that's yeah i know and andrew
1: um it was, it got exhausting to be honest, Andrew. It was, it was, there was multiple, multiple things going on, you know um, you know, it, 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 there was that where bands, you know, we, when we, when we worked with bands like Paramore or Data Remember, you would put, they'd start on the smallest stages and then work their way up, play a big stage for you before they went on and, and did big pop things. And, and, and that was yeah. how we got, But they also supported the younger bands below them. Yep. So whenever you invested in a band and moved them from a small stage to a big stage, it it was a lot. You had to really think through it, and you hopefully had some sort of kind of plan with the management and the bands, and kind of like, okay, this, you know, you'll be you'll be on that you'll you know you'll go from a small stage up to a big stage, and we'll get you up there, and then maybe you'll, then you'll come back and do one big year with us, and bring some you know the small bands behind you. And when that stopped, that was a little hard, you know, just multiple little things, just little tick, 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 tick things that it just wore down. And I was like, you know, it it wasn't really fun. So really, that's what I did in 2018 when I really was like, all right, I'm going to invite the bands I know. I'm going to make sure they have a road manager that that I know. I'm not going to have to deal with any problems because I know that we're not bringing children on tour and we'll go out and have a great run across the country. Thank you, everyone. And then do these weekend shows. Um, yeah. And it, it it was training, you know. It really gave up a lot of my life. It was a bit a fantastic life, a wife, a life I would say well lived, you know. Yeah. But you want to go off and do other things now. Now I'm doing so many really cool things, you know, working in the mental health space, working, you know, doing a recovery event up in Vegas in the fall, uh, helping my students, you know, right after I get on with you getting on a phone call with them uh, who are now working at a company that wants to put on a charity event, maybe do it through unite the United, my foundation. So, uh, there hopefully, you know, you know, some people came out of it better, you know, and hearing that you came out a better person than going, (laughs) Hey, makes it worthwhile. Right.
0: I just really respect everything you did. And I think that I I, had, I respect you for saying okay well cool I'm not having fun anymore and this was supposed to be something really special and you pivoted and I think that that's awesome. One point that I did want to go back to talking about just a pinnacle of fun or I don't know I, I just want to get your uh, take on this is my first Warp Tour was 2006. Yeah. However, history tells a moment of Warp Tour 2005. And I had Tim McTagg from Underoath on my podcast, and I don't know if this was actually 2005, but a moment that he describes of like, uh, uh, "Wow, this is happening, and the band is about to be big, big," was a moment at the Atlanta Warp Tour when they were on the Smart Punk stage, and it happened to be a pavilion or a gazebo that day, and they had to call it because it was too crazy and the stage was breaking. And he very specifically remembers that and kind of jokes that like you had to be like fake mad. Like you're like, oh, don't elicit this. But like deep down, you're kind of proud and you're like, that's sick. That's very punk rock. But did you as the founder have a moment or what was your experience like an era around 2005? Like, did you have a specific day or a specific year where you're looking at one of these crowds and you're just like looking at every artist on it, like the TR rail days, fallout boys on it popping, like just this crazy era. Like, did you have a moment where you're like, wow, this is real.
1: I, I, for me, it, it really started to change as early as 1996, you know, when Pennywise and no effects came out oh, and wow. we played some pretty big shows. Uh, just watching the band start to pop, but that 2005 when Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance and, and that whole world and TRL, that, that's when you almost become too successful for your own good.
0: It was like that, huh?
1: Yeah, we almost collapsed under our own success because we were not set up for the types of crowds that were coming out because yeah. we had to move so quick. We had to get that show up and down. It was good for crowds from 15 to 20,000, but when we were getting up to 20 to 30,000 people a day, there were some big crowds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so crazy. So for you, the moment of like, wow, it's working and there's a community and there's people actually happened far before these legendary moments of like the 2005 era.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, see, so yeah, I would worked with a lot of the punk bands, you know, in the clubs and everything. So when they when the, some of the bigger ones started saying we want to be a part of Warp Tour, uh, you know, this is where we want to be. This is our home. That to me was the moment I go, OK. Now I've found my home. Now, I'm not a big production manager in arenas, and I'm not doing I'm in in dirty parking lots because I started in the dirty clubs. Yeah. and you know when we did shows in the the theaters we broke into basically, or the old rundown theaters, we didn't get to play the nice venues and uh, yeah, ninety seven and uh, it was it was great, you know and and then all the other different things I got to do with you know with other festivals and and working on brands, and, and and being a part of so many nonprofits, and you know, like a, like a we we talk about a life well lived, and that's where I'm kind of at right now. Um, every life well lived is going to have some speed bumps in it to to navigate, but it's how you navigate them and how you move through them.
0: That's so fucking cool, dude. That's and, and that's
1: and that's really what I would like to leave because I know you're you you have a, a generation that. You know, we, we, we're so easy to cancel people or this cancel culture sometimes, you know, everyone goes through a roadblock block, block, and, and if people learn from those roadblocks, now some people are horrible. Don't get me wrong. There are some people that are horrible people. Okay?
0: Yes. yes. Um,
1: no music scene has more than any other. Yeah. No bank has more than any other that works there. No grocery store. There are bad people that should not be part of certain things. But then yes. the majority, a lot of people will go through some speed bumps in life. And if they can learn and be educated and do something to move forward from them, we, yeah. have, we have to learn to have some sort of, uh, go back to some sort of reasoning in society. We've lost, you know, I hate to say it, you know, someone said a term, the American public has lost their collective minds. And I think it started with an effing collective minds. <laughs> and in many ways, I believe um, that, if 94% of us were put in a room, we could find common ground. We could figure a lot out. And yeah. until we're willing to get in that room with people that we don't agree with, nothing. It's just going to It's gonna keep getting torn apart more and more. And, and I saw little parts of that of the art music scene at the end of there when the bands were tearing each other apart yeah. without even giving the credit of meeting those people in person. They would tear each other apart online. They would declare they don't want to work with this band or tour with this band. But you know what? I'll never forget the black eyed peas. Like you mentioned them earlier, meeting Pennywise in a parking lot and all hanging out. They didn't know who each other were, but eventually they realized they were pretty nice people and they shared the love of music, maybe a different type of music. And you know, the music industry is just a microcosm of society as a whole. And when I saw that being pulled apart, so easily that people weren't pulling together. And that's what makes me proud of watching what's going on with some of these bands now that I'll yes. play on your record, I'll sing on your records. Why hip hop was so strong? Because so often the bigger artists would get on and guest on a, on a younger artist's album. Now maybe yeah. I'm seeing this with this whole movement of emo coming back that there's almost like this collective of artists that realize they're better together than apart and they will support each other and move the scene forward, whatever scene they're in.
0: Dude. that And that message never changes. That ethos never changes. And I think you're right. Like, that started to feel like it was getting lost. And that was so discouraging. But to see any, like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the guy with the festival. It's just that, like, that is so important when it's done right. And music continues to go. And that's so much of what I want to say in this podcast is, like, just supporting each other and finding those ways and building a community. So the the way you just shared that, like, It's everything to me. And that's so damn cool. And honestly, my last question for you is kind of something you just touched on. But if somebody's listening to this and... They relate to you and they admire what you had done with the Warp Tour and everything you had done, even past the Warp Tour, just the person you are. They have a similar mindset themselves. They've come from having to work for things and they want to make a difference and they want to add to it and they want to advance music. What's your advice to this next generation? What can they do?
1: Well, I I think it's one we have to readopt the idea of patience, you know, that it doesn't all come quickly. Nothing came quickly in my life. Uh, that if you want something to work, you have to put everything on the line to make it work. You um, And, you know, I, I think there's a book that everyone could read right now. Um, I have all my students read this book. It takes, even if you hate books, you should read this book. It's about 10 minutes to really <laughs> absorb what it's about and about an hour and a half to two hours probably to read. And maybe that, that little bit of investment in time, it's called Ikigai. Um, okay. it, it's called Ikigai. Um, it's a philosophy from Japan um, about life and how you want to find out what you're good at. You want to find out what the, the world needs. Uh, you, fi- you find out you know, what you want out of life, your happiness, and you find out what can make you money. And when you can find that and blend them all together, you find your Ikigai. Now, a lot of times our parents would want the money part on top, but I always say, you know what, money will come. It never, we were, and people don't realize it. I was never driven by money and doing the warp tour. You know, it wasn't. It was. It was about a culture and a lifestyle that I really loved, and I was, a, and and you know, I don't know. People ask me now, are you still in the music business? I, I I actually think for a second, and I go, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the education business now, and. You know, I ask all my students also to write three words that describe their life. And mine was music, education, and philanthropy. And I think that's... And I tell them to go back to those words. And when you're young, you can change those words. But zero in on what three words will define your life. And I think those three things will.
0: That was art, the way that you just said that. (laughs) Like, dude... (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Like that. I got nothing, man. That's, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for empowering and inspiring and giving an entire generation a chance to have a career in this industry because you certainly fucking impacted my life for the better. And that's really cool.
1: Thank you, Andrew. And, you know, I'm glad you're checking out the podcast. It's fun. It's it's been fun and your podcast is great. And you know, it's fun way to do, you know, you get to catch up with people like we haven't gotten to see each other at a show or anywhere in a long time. So it's been really fun to be on this.
0: Dude, absolutely. It's really, really cool to check in. And I agree. I think that there's something about meaningful conversations and now having podcasting as a way to share them and to have more of them is something that I absolutely love. So to see you doing the same is so cool. And anybody listening to this, if for any reason you haven't seen My Warped Life, just go dive in because it, it paints such a beautiful picture of everything that you built in such a fun storytelling way. Is there anywhere Thank else you. people can find you? Is it just go check out the podcast? Is that the best way?
1: I mean, you know, it's, I've never really been good. You know, I have my, I, you can follow me on Instagram at Kevin Lyman. It's always fun. Now, I, now I photos of my garden and barbecuing and, you know, <laughs> camping seem to be more than music at this point, but I hopefully have some photos from a festival. You know, I, I'm still on Twitter. Not as much. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm kind of winding that down a little bit, but you know, Kevin Lyman, Instagram, Kevin Lyman, Twitter, you know, you I'm go. still around, you know, yeah. Facebook, you go on, to, you need to go on Facebook to, to because when you run a podcast, you have to do marketing as you know, and go out and do all these things, you know, and, uh, it was pretty sad for seeing just so many people struggling in, in the last year, but it's nice to see people talking about getting hired back and jobs coming back and tours being talked about. And it's nice to see that. And I'm excited to see my, my friends and, and extended family getting back to do what they love and bring something to people that people love. So uh, we're getting there. We're getting there.
0: Absolutely so there you have it kevin lyman's story kevin lyman's podcast episode I really hope you liked that one as much as I did. This was a really, really special one for me and I'm so inspired by him and he really made an impact on my life. So I hope this episode made a positive impact on you as well and I hope you took something away from it because he's a really rad dude. Again, if you did, the biggest favor that you can do for myself and the podcast is just subscribing to it, telling your friends about it, sharing it, all of that is massively helpful. And again, to echo how cool his podcast is, My Warped Life, go search it anywhere, give it a listen. He tells the story of that tour so, so well there and shares really, really fun stories. So I think you'll enjoy that as well. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.